You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Well, it's really good to be with you, and uh, it's good to be back at Queen City Church. It's been a minute since I've been here. And in case you don't know, my church in Campbellsville, Kentucky, and this church, we're like sister churches in a very weird way. Uh, Your all's church has meant so much to us and it's influenced us over the years and so when I come here it feels like I'm with not just friends but it feels like I'm with a kind of family and so it's really really good to be here. Uh, Here's what I want to do this morning. Uh, I want to talk to you about the story of the kingdom. I understand that you guys have been talking about stories for the last few weeks and I want to talk to you about the story of the kingdom and I want to do that in a few ways this morning. First thing I want to do is I want to tell you a story from my life And then I want to talk to you about why human beings are storied creatures. And then I want to read you a really weird story from the Old Testament. And then after that, I want to quickly preach the gospel to you. That'd be all right? All right, here's what I want to start with, though. Uh, I want to tell you a story from my life. I call this a moment with the monks. About 35 miles from where I live, there is a Trappist monastery where Thomas Merton lived his life and did his writing. And I found this later in life. I'm 44 now. I didn't even know it existed until I was 35. And when I was about 35 or 6, I went on a little silent retreat over there. The monks own 3,000 acres in the knobs of Nelson County, and they've been there for over 150 years. And every single day for over 150 years, they pray the Psalms, they read the Scriptures, And they work the land. And there's a feeling in that place that is unlike any other place I've been to. So I spent a couple days there. I kept some of the hours of prayer. I mostly slept. I read a book. And one afternoon as I was leaving the main chapel where they do their praying and where they do their singing, uh, I noticed this little sign on the side of a chapel. There was like another little chapel. And there was a sign on the door. And the sign said, Reconciliation. Tuesday at 4 p.m. and Saturday at 4 p.m. And I didn't know what that was, but I, I looked down and I noticed that it was, it was like 3.30 and it was Tuesday. And I thought, I'm here, I guess I'll go in. So I went in the door and it was really dark in this chapel. And I could tell there were some other people sitting on these chairs, kind of like in a semicircle, like you would see at a church. And so I just went in, I found my spot and I, and I sat down. I didn't know what to do or even what was going to happen. And then sure enough, right at four o'clock, one of the Trappist monks comes in. He's got his robes on and everything. He comes in, he goes into a side door. And then a moment later, someone sitting next to me stands up, goes into the door and a few minutes later comes out. A few minutes after that, someone else in the room stands up, goes in a few minutes later, comes out. And about the time the third person did this, I realized what this was. I realized this was confession. And then I was like, well, am I going to stay or am I going to go? I decided to stay and to go, but I was the last person in, right? So I went into the room and it was just like you would imagine confession would be. There was, there was this, this thing between us, you know, and you could kind of see the monk's face and he could kind of see my face, but not really. And And I said to him, I said, "Uh, Father, I guess the first thing I need to confess to you is I'm not Catholic, so I'm not even sure I'm allowed to do this. And he said, one minute. And he came around the partition and he pulled his chair with him 
And he slid his chair right up in front of me. And he sat knee to knee with me. And he looked me in his eye, looked me in my eyes and he said to me, what's your name? And I said, my name is Adam. And he said, Adam, I want you to tell me everything. <laughs> I don't know what came over me. I told him everything. I told him every horrible, rotten, despicable, terrible thing that I had ever did in my life. No, not exactly everything. I mostly did the highlights, which means it's the really bad stuff, right? Every bit of greed, every bit of being a jerk, every bit of lust, everything I did when I was 18, everything I thought when I was 25, I just went there. Like for 15 minutes straight, I didn't hold back. I went all the way in. And at the end of it, he put both of his hands on my shoulders and he said to me, Adam, Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, including yours. And when he said that, Something came over me, and I still feel it even today. And I cried. I didn't just cry. I wept. Just like John 11 when it said that Jesus wept. That's more than crying. It's like something came out of my body that has been in my body the whole time. And then when I finished crying, I stood up, and I felt like I was a 1,000 pounds lighter. And it was unbelievable. And I went home, and I didn't even tell my wife. It felt too personal. It felt too sacred. I didn't even tell Heather. And about... Six hours after being home, Heather says to me, what happened to you? I said, I, what, what do you think happened to me? She goes, I don't know, but you, you're not the same. Something happened to you. And I told her the story. I said, I told this guy everything. She said, what kind of everything? I said, everything. Stuff you don't even know. Everything. She says, do I want to know? I'm like, I don't even know if you want to know. That's just one little story. Maybe we'll get back to it at the end here. Second thing I want to tell you is human beings are storied creatures. Like we always tell stories. We do it all the time. And the reason we tell stories is it's how we make sense of the world. Uh, it's, how we bring, it's how we bring a little bit of meaning out of chaos or even meaning out of goodness. And, and here's the reason we do that. We do that because so much is happening all the time. And, and not just all the time, but even, even right now, there's more happening in this room than any of us are actually paying attention to. That's one of the things your brain does. Your brain causes you to not pay attention to certain things so that you can pay attention to other things. It, it diminishes some things and it elevates some things. That's what we do. And when you do that, uh, the way that human beings do it, the thing that always comes forward the thing that always comes forward is story. There's a sense in which our human hardware is no match for the richness of living. And so in response, one of the things we do is order the information in a way that makes sense. You leave a bunch of stuff out. Isn't that right? When stuff happens to you and you go and tell your friends, what do you do? You leave a bunch of stuff out. You don't tell them everything that happened. You leave a bunch of stuff out. You bring something forward. You de-emphasize something else. Um, the other thing that human beings do is this. We look for patterns. Anything that repeats. Repeating and rhythms, they ma that makes things feel more important. And uh, by the way, pop singers like Taylor Swift know this deeply, right? Are we out of the woods yet? Are we out of the woods yet? Are we out of the woods yet? Are we out of the woods? Are we in the clear yet? Are we in the clear yet? 
Are we in the clear yet? Are we in the clear yet? Good. (laughs) Repetition is telling us what is important. Think about those lyrics. What's important in there? Or maybe this. What's the mood? That's all a part of the story. I want to tell you another little story. It's about The Hobbit. A few years ago, I hurt my back real good. I went to the gym. I like going to the gym with my kids. It's one of the things we do. I have four kids, 20, 18, almost 16, and nine. And the three olders and I, we go to the gym like four days a week, and they destroy me. And one day, we were at the gym, and we were, we were on one of those rowing machines, you know? We were rowing, and we were doing deadlifts, and we were yelling, and the music is pumping, and I'm feeling a little better than normal, and... I look up and I'm, I'm like slightly ahead of the other group of old guys. So I'm leaning in. I grab that barbell and I just felt the spark go through my back. Anybody ever hurt, hurt your back like that? Where you just, It feels like a spark. And I went to all fours and I couldn't move. And Chad, the gym owner, picks me up. And I was like, I am not okay. His, literate, his name is Chad. <laughs> That's how you choose a gym, by the way. Some of you guys are going to gyms run by other people. What? It's, it's, that's why it doesn't work. you got to go to Chad's gym. So Chad picks me up. And I go home. And, and this is one of those moments where I'm not going to just like sleep this off. And so I was in bed for like seven days. And this doesn't happen. Like I'm an active person. I don't want to stay in bed. I don't want to be on the couch. I do not want to watch TV. I want to go outside. I want to do stuff. I want to dig in the ground. My family and I, we have 100 acres and we, we, we raise wine grapes. I want to go, go farm. I want to go running. I want to do something. So I'm in my bed. And the only thing I can think of is, I guess I'll just read a book. And so I went out, I went out to the bookshelf and I grabbed The Hobbit. And I have no idea why I grabbed it, but I had already read it before when I was much younger. And I guess I just wanted to escape. So I jumped right in. And a few minutes later, I'd read the first chapter and then I was completely sucked in. And one of the things I realized after reading a chapter or two of The Hobbit was, I read it as a younger guy, but I just wasn't ready for it as a younger guy. Like, I appreciated it, but as an older guy, it was like hitting me in a different level. And one of the things that really stuck out to me in the story of The Hobbit, and maybe you guys remember this, uh, if you're a nerd, I don't know. uh, There's this part where, it's okay to be a nerd, uh, there's this part where, where Bilbo and the dwarves, they go through the Mirkwood. Do you guys remember this part? And you're like, what is the Mirkwood? I don't know. It's like a bad place, kind of. And, and they're on the right path. This part like really resonated me, with me as an older guy. Uh, they're in the Mirkwood. It's exactly what you think. It's murky. They're, but they're on the right path. And at a certain point in the middle of the Mirkwood, uh, they, they feel like they're maybe not on the right path, but they actually are. And they get really hungry. And it becomes night. And they see these wood elves. And they go over and they check out the wood elves. And when they go and check out the wood elves, they see that the wood elves are feasting. And they run into their midst because they're very hungry. And as soon as they run into their midst, what happens? The elves disappear. And it becomes completely dark. And then then Bilbo and the dwarves realize they're really, really lost. They're really lost. What's the story? Here's the story in that. It's that our appetites can lead us off the right path. Our desires oftentimes trap us in the dark. That's the story. 
And how many of you know you can get up in front of a group of people and you can say, hey, group of people, your appetites will lead you off the right path sometimes. Your desires can take you into the dark and everybody might do this. But if you encapsulate it in a story, it hits someplace different. By the way, who in the room has ever let their appetites lead you into the dark? Anybody here? Been there, done that. Right. This is also true. This is also true in art. Van Gogh said, I'm looking for a deeper likeness than obtained by a photographer. You know, he could have taken a picture, but he didn't want to. He's looking for something deeper. Stories are not just things we speak, but they're the things we do as well. All right, here's what I want to talk to you about now. Invisible architecture. Two things here. We're living inside of invisible architecture. And here's what that means. We are living inside of stories. Every single person in the room this morning is living in some kind of story. And not only that, number two, everybody in the room is a living story. And here's the trouble. Here's the trouble. All of this is mostly invisible. Imagine a cathedral. Anybody ever walked into a really big cathedral, like one that really surrounds you, and you're like, how did this happen? A few years ago, I was in Spain, and I went into this cathedral, and it was built in the year 900. It's so old that the stones are like curved where people have walked down the aisles, you know? And I got in there, and I just thought, for 1,200 years, Christians have come here to worship. It just blew my brain. Imagine a cathedral. That cathedral is the story that we all live in. And sometimes the cathedral is so big that we can't really catch the scope of it and it nearly becomes invisible to us. What kind of stories are we living in? Here's here's some of the stories we live in. All kinds. We live in cultural stories. Uh, We live also in national stories. National stories like America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, or or God Bless America, or Cowboys and Indians, uh, Rocket Ships to the Moon, uh, America's Success, uh, also cultural narratives about what is good. Uh, One of the things you'll learn if you ever leave the United States is that people who are not from the United States don't share the same story we do. And until you do, oftentimes you don't even realize you've been living inside of an American story. Like sometimes you have to go to Chile to realize, oh my gosh, I've been orienting my life around a national story invisible to myself so we live in national stories Uh, how many of you know that people these days like to live in political stories people love to live in political stories the democrats and the republicans so many people right now are being discipled by cnn and fox news we not only that we live in familial stories maybe some of us in the room had maybe some of us in the room played t-ball with a demanding father Oh, maybe that's just me. <laughs> or, or, maybe, or maybe you have family stories that are like fun vacations. Or some of us have family stories that are profoundly shaped by poverty and divorce. Or maybe, or maybe there's love in your family. Or maybe, maybe your family story is one of like profound loss. And then, and then on top of that, you gotta, you got to talk about things like trauma. Some of us in the room this morning have histories that are deeply touched by trauma. Some of us in the room have been abused. Some of us have experienced violence. Uh, There may be a soldier or two in the room. And if you're a soldier and you've had active duty, there's a very good chance that you've experienced PTSD. And sometimes these narratives and these stories, 
they resonate inside of us. We live with the echoes, but it's somehow invisible to us at the same time. And here's the trouble with that. The trouble is this. We are kingdom people, and without a deep knowledge of the kingdom story of God, without a vision for it, without knowledge of it, we could stay inside the gravity of a lesser story. That's the trouble. Or worse, or worse, we could live inside the architecture of a story that's actually oppositional to the kingdom of God. I want to tell you, talk to you about the kingdom story this morning. And I want to do that by reading a section of scripture out of Daniel chapter 2. Y'all remember Daniel? Daniel chapter 2, 31 through 45. I don't, it, oh man, amazing. Thank you, tech crew. Chris, can I stand on this? Thank you. Uh, Let me just tell you what happened up to this point. Uh, In Daniel, this is the spot when Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he tells all of his advisors, give me somebody who can tell me my dream, but they have to tell me the dream I had and then interpret it. And all of his advisors were like, that's impossible. He's like, well, you're going to do it or I'm going to kill you. And Daniel says, well, give me a minute. And Daniel goes and prays and he gets the dream and he's going to come back and he's going to tell Nebuchadnezzar what it means. Everybody kind of remember that? All right, here's, here's the story. It goes like this. This is Daniel speaking. He says, in your, vision, in your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. And its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. And as you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. Underline that. It was, it struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty power, strength, and honor. He's made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise and take its place. And after that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there'll be a fourth one as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all the previous empires just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay showing that this kingdom will be divided like iron mixed with clay. It will have some of the strength of iron, but, the, but, the, but while some parts of it will be as strong as iron. Other parts will be as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay will also show that the kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other. And through intermarriage, but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. I want to talk to you about the kingdom 
story here. And this is one we have to have in our heads and in our hearts. Here's the kingdom story. There's all kinds of stories. There's all kinds of kingdoms. And in the end, the kingdom of heaven is going to overtake every other kingdom. It was a prophecy for Daniel. It was a prophecy for Daniel and for Nebuchadnezzar in their moment. But it's also for us as well. History is full of kingdoms. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Stories come and stories go. Stories that have a kind of splendor. Kingdoms that have a shimmer or a strength. But they will all eventually be replaced. And the final replacement will be the kingdom of heaven. So it might be good to know that kingdom story. So here's what I want to say to you today. I want to preach the gospel to you just for a minute. This Daniel 2 story, it's real. It was real in Daniel's day. And in the days of Jesus, the book of Daniel was really popular. I don't know if you know that or not. But in the days of Jesus, the book of Daniel was one of the most popular. And the reason it was one of the most popular is because the people of Israel, they were living under Roman oppression in the land that God had given them. So imagine, imagine that Abraham is your father and he has promised you the place where your feet are standing. And imagine that all of your ancestors live there free. But imagine you are now a part of a generation that lives in the land that God gave you and lives in the land where your forefathers and your foremothers brought forth children who were your grandparents. And imagine now the Romans, the pagans, they are the ones who are in charge. And what you want more than anything else is you want the book of Daniel. And what you're looking for is the mountain that was not cut or formed by human hands, but comes in and smashes every kingdom. This was a popular book in the day of Jesus. And in the time of Jesus, when he was here, everybody was looking for that mountain. The mountain that would smash every kingdom. They assumed that the mountain, that the kingdom would come and that it would come with great power. They were looking for a particular kind of kingdom and they were looking for a particular kind of king. And they were doing that because they were living inside a particular kind of story. But but make no mistake, in the days of Jesus, there was a cornerstone in their midst. He was a tiny baby born to a young woman. And Jesus grew up in obscurity. And after 30 years of being utterly unknown, he began his ministry and he started telling another story. And what's interesting to me is that Jesus often did this by telling lots and lots of stories. And not only that, but Jesus hung out with sinners. Jesus hung out with so many sinners that he became known as a glutton and a wine drinker. Because he was just so associated with people who were on the edges. And not only did Jesus do that, but he healed people. One of the stories that I've been very connected to lately is in uh, the book of Mark. Uh, Right up front, Jesus has been healing people. And this leprosy guy comes to Jesus and he says, I know you can heal me. I just want to know, are you willing? And even before Jesus speaks a healing word, he touches that man and says, I am willing This is who was in their midst. Jesus healed people and people who had demons got set free and he walked on water and he multiplied food. And people started to think, people started to think, maybe, maybe this is the mountain we've been looking for. Maybe all that Daniel stuff is real. And as quickly as things started, they went sideways. Jesus got murdered and crucified. 
And if you remember, when Jesus was crucified, he was marched up a little mountain and he was executed in a stony place called Golgotha. And a few days later, he was resurrected out of the side of a stone grave. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. Daniel 2 was real and it was present, but it was not real and present in the way that people imagined. God demonstrated his power, not in strength, but in weakness. God overthrew the powers of the age with naked vulnerability. He was murdered between two thieves because his mountain, and gr- because his mountain is growing closest to the very ones who need its shelter. That's actually good news. Jesus was nailed onto a cross between two thieves because the mountain of God is the one that's going to grow up closest to the people who need it most. This is the kingdom story. A few days before Jesus was put on trial, maybe you remember that there was a prisoner exchange. Y'all remember this? Pilate says, well, I'll give you Jesus. And everybody says, well, we don't really want Jesus. We want to have who? Barabbas. And Barabbas was actually a thief and a murderer, right? I love this part of the story because part of the story in this moment is that even before the cross, even before the cross, even before Jesus is executed, the work of the cross is beginning to step into that moment and prisoners are being set free. And by the way, not the good ones. Not the, in fact, the worst ones. And I want to tell you this morning, that's good news. Because if God will let Barabbas go free before the cross, if God will let the worst go free, if God will accept Jesus and free Barabbas, he will accept you as well. He will let you go free. Anyone here in the room today, even today, the mountain of the Lord is growing and it's coming into our midst if we look for it. But we'll have to ingest the, the story deeply into our hearts in order to be able to see it. Here's what I came to tell you this morning. Just a few things. Number one, if you're weak this morning, if you're weak this morning, good news. God became weak that you might know a new kind of strength. Like if you're running on empty, this is great news. God emptied himself that you may be filled up in a new kind of way. Uh, This morning, if you're hidden and obscure, if it feels like your life is not amounting to much, good news. The story is this, that Jesus spent most of his life utterly unknown. And even even when he was in his father's woodshed making tables, even then, Even then, Jesus was not less the son of God. Y'all know that part? Like that, that there's just like missing years. There's there's like, there's all this stuff that happened in Jesus's life that no one knew about. Jesus worked with his father doing whatever they did. Maybe they made little tables. I don't know what they did, but it's utterly unknown. And here's what you need to know this morning. And this is the good news of the kingdom, that even in obscurity, Jesus was 100% still the son of God. Even when he did no ministry, he was no less the son of God. And so this morning, if you are living in obscurity, if you are hidden, if it feels like your life is not amounting to much, good news, you are yet still a son and a daughter of God. 
You don't, you don't have to hold a microphone. You don't need a platform. You don't need a big job. You don't need any of those things in order to be squarely in the grip of God's affections. This is the kingdom story. If you're not that important in the world's eyes, good news, you're still a son and a daughter of God. The mountain of the Lord is a shelter for you. Uh, if you're unsure this morning, if you're unsure, maybe, maybe you've done church for a while and you used to be real sure. And maybe you're here this morning. You're like, I'm not so sure about anything. Maybe you're not sure about God. Maybe you're not sure about Jesus. Maybe you're not sure about the church. Good news. Good news. Because the story is this, that when Jesus' own disciples walked with him every single day for three or three and a half years, the very disciples who heard every sermon and who saw every healing miracle watched him walk on water and received the baskets of bread that he multiplied. After three and a half years, some of them were unsure. Some of them were like, I won't believe it unless I can see the scars on his hands. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus comes to the unsure disciples and he says, hey, look at my scars. Put your hand in my side. If you're unsure this morning, good news. You're in the right place. God will not forsake you. In fact, one of the things we see over and over in the scriptures is that Jesus will circle back for the unsure. You don't have to be condemned. Great. If you're not sure what you think about God, Great. Welcome to the family. If you're certain that you know everything that you know about God, wonderful. There may be a day when you are unsure. Here's what I can promise you. If you're sure today, there'll probably be a day that you're unsure. And here's the good news. On the day you're unsure, Jesus will find you. He will find you. This is the story of the kingdom. This is the story of the mountain of God that will replace every other mountain. If you're hurting this morning... Good news. Jesus knows about hurting and he knows about pain. And he knows these things not because he's God and he's tapping into his omnis. God knows about hurting and pain not because he knows everything. God knows about hurting and he knows about pain because he was rejected by his own people. He was left by his friends and he was nailed to a cross. He knows about hurting and he knows about pain and he knows it experientially. And if you were hurting this morning, here's the good news. You have a friend and you have yet a God who also knows what it is to be hurt, who also knows what it is to be rejected, who knows what it is to have pain in their life. And he will stand with you in the pain. This is the story of the kingdom. This is the story that will replace all the other stories. We could do this all day long. We could do this all day long. The kingdom that is growing, the mountain that's going to replace every other kingdom, it's not a kingdom of coercion. It's not a kingdom of power as the world imagines power. It's not a kingdom of politics left and right. It's not a kingdom that is perfectly in line with the American story or the American dream. And this is all good news because it's a kingdom for the lowly. It's a kingdom for the weak. It's a kingdom for those who have been hurt. It's a kingdom for people who are unsure. It's a kingdom for people who have faith that is 
that is frail. It is for, it's a kingdom for people who are on the outside. It releases prisoners. It's a kingdom that gets crucified between two thieves. This is the mountain that will replace every other kingdom. This is the story you need to know. And this is the story your neighbors need to know. And here's why. Here's why. Because your neighbors, your neighbors are weak. And your neighbors are frail. And they don't know what they think about God. And your neighbors are exhausted with politics. And your neighbors, your neighbors are hurting. And some of them are sick. By the way, if you're here this morning and you're sick, Jesus knows about sickness. He knows about sickness. And he knows about it because he can heal it. But he also knows about it because he experienced it. Like on the cross, he did not just experience torment and pain. He experienced the sickness of the world. He experienced the sin of the world. He knows what it is like to have something put upon you that you did not ask for. And this is the story you must know because this is our life. This is your life. And this is the life that your neighbors have. This is the story that will replace every other story. It is one of tenderness. Jesus was born a baby. How many of you understand that Jesus did not have to be born a baby? God did not have to come a baby. I mean, if he's God, he can do anything he wants, right? If he's God, he can show up however he wants. If he wanted to show up as like a 35-year-old ripped Arnold Schwarzenegger with AR-15s and make everybody do what he wants, he could have done it. But instead, God chose to be born a tiny, tender baby uh, born to a, a, a young woman who would live with shame for the rest of her life. And how many of you understand that when Mary gave birth to Jesus, uh, not only did she give birth to the Son of God, but she, she, she held a story in her own life that she could never tell. Here's what I mean by that. How many of you know that if you're Mary, uh, it does you no good to tell the story about how you actually got pregnant? People are not going to believe it, and they're going to think you're crazy. This is the story, this is the mountain that is going to replace every other mountain. That the kingdom comes through tenderness. That it comes small, it comes insignificant, it comes in a way that looks weak. And sometimes the kingdom, when it shows up that way, it, it, it does things to the people that carry it. It sometimes gives them a story that, that other people will struggle to believe. And, and here's why that's good news. Because on your lowest day, what you need is a God who understands tenderness and who understands weakness and who will come to you like a child and who will, who will, be, who will be near you. And there's another kind of strength. This world thinks, this world thinks that, that there's, a, there's one kind of strength and it's like it's just winning, you know? And here's what I want to tell you. Jesus came for the losers and he came for the outcast he came for the people on the margins and on the edges and the very ones that we struggle to know what to do with those are the very ones he came and if you're honest with yourself you'd have to say those people are me because on my best day on my best day i'm a weak person and what i need is the mountain of the lord the mountain of god's tenderness i need the mountain of god's Kindness. I need the mountain of God's kingdom that is coming through weakness. I need the God who associates with thieves. I need the God who associates with the weak. I need the God who is like Jesus. This is the story that will replace every other story. How do y'all end church here? I, don't, I, don't, I just, do y'all sing at the end? What do y'all do? Okay, cool. Can we, can we just do like two more things? Is that cool, Robin? Yeah, can we just take a moment? Uh, I wanted to hold a little space here at the end 
Because Jesus often wants to do things in the room. Is that all right? Yeah, so here's what I would love this morning. Can we just stand and we're going to pray? We're just going to, we're just going to, I'm from the vineyard. We're just going to do a vineyard thing here for a second. Which means that something might happen or maybe nothing will happen. Either way, it's fine. Lord Jesus, we love you this morning. And we we ask that this story of your kingdom would go deep into our hearts. We ask that these little seeds would begin to grow like, like mustard seeds. We ask that the smallest seed would become the biggest tree in the garden of our life. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. This morning, I just felt compelled to, as we say in this place, I just felt compelled that there may be a little bit of ministry here for certain people. Um, Number one, there may be some people here this morning and you've never walked with Jesus. I mean, you kind of know about Jesus, but you've never followed him. And this may be the morning where you just need to say, I need to follow Jesus. I need to throw my lot in with him and no one else. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you to do that. Or maybe you're here this morning and you follow Jesus, but you just did a world-class job of wrecking your life. And you walked away from Jesus. And I just want to call you back to his arms this morning. So maybe there's some people here and you just, maybe you took a prodigal journey and you just need to come back and say, I need to follow Jesus again. I also felt like there may be some people here this morning, and when I was just kind of going through that list, like weak or hurting, and you go, man, I feel like the weakest person in the whole world. I feel like I have nothing. There's no gas in my tank. And I, I want to invite you this morning to say, I need, I need that God to fill me up. And then very odd, very, very odd, what, in worship this morning, I felt like there may be a person or two here this morning You were trying to buy a house and you were having a hard time getting a mortgage. And I felt like we were supposed to pray for you this morning. So it's four things, okay? Maybe you need to follow Jesus for the first time. Maybe you need to return to following Jesus. Maybe you're just like, I just feel like the weakest, most empty person in the world and I need God to fill me up. Or maybe maybe that very strange word I got during worship is actually real. And maybe there's someone in here and you're trying to buy a home and you just have hit brick walls. Um, We want to pray for you. Uh, Do any of those apply to anyone in the room? If that's you, can you just put your hand up right now? Yeah. Real high. Yeah. All right. There's some hands up this morning. Can can people who know how to play just come around these people? Like people, keep your hands up or otherwise no one will pray for you. Yeah. Put your hand up and we're just going to have some people, people who know how to pray. Just ask them, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? By the way, this is normal church. There's a lady back here. No no one's prayed for her. She's got her hand up. Can someone right here? Yes, thank you. We're just going to do a little bit of prayer. Just ask them, how can I pray for you? What is it? And, And pray real specific. By the way, this is normal. If you've never come to QCC before, I'm not the pastor. You might be thinking, what are we doing right now? This is normal church. If you can't get prayer at church, where are you going to get it? Mm. Lord Jesus, we love you. Hey, thanks. 
Thanks so much, Adam. Let's just uh, let everybody sort of stay, stay with us here. Father, we do. We pray for each of these that acknowledged you know their need. We do ask that you would touch them, Lord. Lord, we ask that mortgage would be granted. We ask for strength to come in the place of weakness. Confidence to come in places of shame. Health to come in places of sickness. Thank you, Lord. As um, Adam was concluding his story today, I thought about a, a friend of mine named Arthur Burke. You can sit just for one more moment. We're just about through, but Arthur Burke preached from the time he was 16 to at least like 104. He was uh, sort of a spiritual mentor to me in, in his last last days. He was in a nursing home over in England, and he had trouble reading the Bible, so he had a nurse who wasn't a believer, and he would sort of trick her, I think, but he would get her to read his Bible to him, and she would he would tell her where he wanted her to read, and then she would read, and she would say, gosh, Arthur, you don't believe this stuff, do you? She said, I don't believe it. I don't believe in God. And Arthur looked at her. He would call her lovey. I guess that's British. He he said, that's okay, lovey. He believes in you. And see, that's that's the truth. You were created in the image of God. Maybe you're not aware. And see, one of the things the gospel does for us to enjoy the benefits is we grow in awareness. And I heard it put this way, and this is going to mess with you a little bit, but Jesus didn't just come for us. He came as us and when you look into him if you understand who you're looking at and why you're looking at him you're looking at yourself and who you're supposed to become who you really are does that make sense the gospel is better than we ever imagined so thanks adam you've been listening to the queen city church sermon of the week For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.